Who has God placed in your life that he wants you to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to be his spokesperson? He's placed these people around you. You're not just here waiting for eternity. You're to be on mission for God. Will you say yes? And when you say yes, if you say yes, we will watch a culture transform. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. It's great to be here with all of you. Um, I love this city and I love your church. So thankful for so many things um, about your church, your willingness to come into uh, the uh, eco-denomination in our early days when things were even newer than they are um, now for your leadership in this church, the, the continued ways that they have helped move the denomination forward. I'm particularly thankful about your church that you are an example to others of the ways in which coming into eco isn't just about getting away from, but it's about moving toward. That sometimes as I see churches go through the process, sometimes is, is the goal and the strength and the fight is simply to just get out and to get in. And then when they make it into the denomination, they think, great, we're done. We've made it, you know, to the promised land. But the reality is, is that we are not just a denomination about changing jerseys. We want to be different we want to be a denomination that helps create the environment for you to flourish in mission and in ministry. And, and so it's even evident in the midst of this weekend that your church has a wonderful history of local and global mission partnerships. And we celebrate that on this missions weekend but I also love the way that your church is realizing that missions is not just something we write a check to or go on for a short period of time, but we are actually called to be missional, which is not just an event. It's not just a check we write. It is a way of life where we are to be missionaries to our culture that so desperately needs it. Recent studies have indicated that there may be 225 to 250 million people in the United States that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That would make the United States the third largest mission field in the world, next to India and China. And that scares us. How did we get to this point? How do we respond? How do we be missionaries in the midst of this culture in our own neighborhoods and workplaces? Well, the passage I want to unpack for us is Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26 and going through verse 39. It's found on page 1606 of your pew Bibles. And this passage will help us to understand the power of Jesus to reach even the most broken people. And then the ability of Jesus to use those very same broken people to bring about a cultural revitalization for his name. 
So hear the word of the Lord. They sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out from the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into the solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And when the people went out to see what had happened, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. And so he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This indeed is the word of the Lord. In your bulletin this morning, there, there's an outline in, that indicates what I would like to do with this text is to draw out four surprises. Four things that the disciples were likely surprised about. Four things that, frankly, we might be surprised about from time to time. But each of these four surprises helps us to understand, to a greater extent, the power of Jesus to heal our brokenness and to use us, despite our brokenness, to bring about his purposes in the world. And so the first surprise is that Jesus goes to the other side. Now, I didn't read verse 22. It came a few verses earlier. But Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. And now this seems like a simple, innocuous question. Let's go to Charleston. Let's go to Charlotte. Let's go to Myrtle Beach. Let's, let's go out to dinner tonight. Just a simple question. But this question would have evoked fear in the midst of the disciples because they likely had never been to the other side. If we had a map of the Sea of Galilee, we'd see it's like kind of a, a teardrop lake shape. And on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, that's where the Jewish territories were. That's where the disciples are from. That's where Jesus did the vast majority of his ministry. But the other side, the eastern side, that's where the pagan territories were. 
That's where the, the people who practiced all kinds of false religion and engaged in all sorts of immoral behavior lived. That's where, quote, those people live. You, do you have those people in your lives? I know you do, right? The people, those people, that person, they don't look like us, they don't dress like us, they don't act like us, they don't have the same socioeconomic standard or political persuasion, they don't act the same way, whatever it may be, they are those people, and if we're honest, we prefer to spend our time avoiding those people. Bless their hearts, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus calls the disciples to go to the other side. Maybe Jesus calls us to the go to the other side as well. And so we need to ask the question, where is that other side for us? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school, maybe it's in our neighborhoods, maybe it's in um, whatever you know, venue, social organization we are involved in. What is that other side for us? And usually, you don't have to cross the Sea of Galilee to get there. Sometimes, you just need to cross the street. You know the saying, don't you? Good fences make what? Good fences make good neighbors. If I can keep my neighbors at an arm's length, we're good. But what if that's not true? What if good fences don't make good neighbors? What if, in fact, God has called you to live where you are because he wants you to be his hands and feet in that neighborhood? Would it change the way you approach your neighborhood? You know what I think is one of the worst inventions is the electric garage door opener. You used to actually have to get out of your car to open the garage door, but now you don't have to maybe ever see your neighbors. You drive in, click the button, door goes up, drive in, click the button, door goes down, and you don't have to interact with your neighbors. What if God isn't calling us to live that way? What if God has placed us again in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, wherever it would be, because he has called you to take a missionary stance and posture in that place? See, and we have to be willing to go. The Great Commission, stay and make disciples of all nations. Is that what it says? No, go. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. And so often, our churches are built around this construct of come. Come to us. We have a beautiful building. We have great worship, great staff, great programs. Just come to us. And some people will, but a lot won't. And so we have to be willing to go to them. Here's the second surprise, is that Jesus has a positive interaction with only one person. Jesus and the disciples, they get to the other side. As they are traveling, by the way, there's a big storm. Jesus has to calm the seas. So the disciples already don't want to be there. They're seasick. And as soon as they get to the other side, Jesus steps out on land. And it says that they're greeted by the demon-possessed man. And did you pick up on what he was wearing? Nothing. He was naked. The first thing they see is this naked, demon-possessed guy coming toward him, right? Do you know what the disciples are saying? I told you so, Jesus. It was worse than we thought. It was worse than Mama warned us about. 
Jesus, though, heals the man, casts the demons out into the herd of pigs. They jump off the cliff and commit swinicide, right? And, uh, and the man is healed, and he is in his right mind, and the people come around Jesus, and they're afraid, and they ask Jesus to leave. Now, here's what blows my mind, is that Jesus leaves. I thought he would have stayed. I thought Jesus wanted to be on that other side, and there's this collection of 10 cities right behind the events of what had happened. I thought he would have found a way to stay, move his boat, sweet talk, whatever it may be, you know, that he would have stayed. But he doesn't, he goes. That just doesn't seem like a very efficient mission trip, does it? But it tells us something about Jesus that it was worth it for Jesus to go all the way across the Sea of Galilee to reach that one guy. And that one guy wasn't going to be a big donor to his cause. That one naked, demon-possessed guy who was chained and shackled and thrown into a cave that society wanted to ignore and couldn't wait until he died. It was worth it for Jesus to go all the way across the Sea of Galilee to reach that one guy. Praise be to God, right? Because if we're honest, we're that same guy. Now, we may act a little more socially appropriate than he did, but we are just as broken and need of healing and restoration as that guy. And that Jesus crossed not just the Sea of Galilee for us, but Jesus crossed the cosmos for us. That Philippians tells us that though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient unto death. If you're here today and you are checking out Christianity, maybe you're, you're checking it out again or you were raised, whatever it may be, if you are checking these things out, I implore you, talk to the pastors, staff, elder, whoever it may be, about this great and amazing love of Jesus that gave up everything so that we who had nothing could become everything to Jesus. Here's the third surprise, is that Jesus leaves this unlikely person to be the only witness. Jesus is asked to leave. He and the disciples are getting in the boat, and the man says, can I go with you? He begs him, in fact, please take me with you. I don't blame him, right? He wasn't treated great in the first place. Get me out of Dodge. I would have thought Jesus would have said, yes, come with me. You're not ready to do anything. You know, you need to be trained, and we're going to give you two years of, of Wednesday classes, and then maybe you can be an usher or something like that, right? You know? But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, no, I want you to stay and to proclaim throughout the countryside how much God has done for you. Really, Jesus? That's your plan? That's how you're going to reach the other side? Is this guy? And Jesus says, yes, because it's going to illustrate of truth that it is not my, his power at work, but mine at work in and through him. It illustrates something that we see all over the scriptures, which is that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. 
Let me say that again. God does not call the equipped. God is not looking down to say, who has the best resume that I can delegate ministry to and never have to worry about again? God is looking for who will go, who will be faithful, who will risk, who will be bold for my name's sake. And if you do that, when you do that, I will work through you and bring about a change in culture. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So what does that tell us? That we need to stop using any and every excuse on why Jesus can't use us. And we have those excuses, don't we? I'm too old, I'm too young, I have too much bad stuff in my background for God to use me, I don't have enough bad stuff in my background to relate, I don't know enough, I know too much, whatever it is. We'll use any excuse on why we are to sit on the pew of Christianity rather than be used by Jesus. But here's the fact, if God can use this guy, God can use you because I don't know you, but I know you have less issues than this guy. And Pastor Brian tells me who I'm wrong about, but other than that, 95% less issues than this guy. Here's the fourth surprise, and it's my absolute favorite. It's the cultural transformation that occurs because of this man's witness. Jesus and the disciples, they, they get back into the boat, and we don't know the conversation. But my guess is, because I've been a pastor long enough where we've tried things that were out of the box. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. And when some of them don't work, sometimes people are glad they don't work, but they're still nice to you. They still have coming up to the side and they give you a pat on the back and saying, oh, Pastor Dana, that was so neat that you tried that. Too bad it didn't work. Meanwhile, they're thinking, thank you that it did not work. My guess is that that's what's going on in the boat. The disciples are patting Jesus on the back and saying, that's so neat that you cared about those people on the other side. Too bad they kicked you out. Meanwhile, they're thinking, thank goodness they kicked him out. We'll never have to go back there again. But the reality is, is Jesus does go back. And his return visit is recorded in Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus goes back, he, he sees a man who's lame, he can't walk, and Jesus heals him. And crowds start to come around him again. But this time, they're not afraid and want to kick him out. This time, they're hungry for what he has to say and to do. So much so that crowds come around and around that within a couple of hours, we see the event of the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 5,000 happens on the Western uh, Jewish side. The feeding of the 4,000 happens here on, on the pagan side. And so we look at this and we see the first time Jesus goes, he does a miracle. People are afraid. They kick him out. The second time he goes, does a miracle. The culture's hungry for him. And within hours, he's got a mega church. How does that happen? How does the culture shift that much in such a short period of time? It had to be because of that one guy. It had to be because of the faithfulness of that one cured demoniac who did what God called him to do and told everyone what God had done for him. And he didn't have to have all the answers. 
He didn't have to have it all put together. He didn't have to, to know the you know, Old Testament in original language. All he had to do was to be faithful to the call of God and a culture transformed. Amen? Can God do that again? No. Yeah. Of course he can. And he wants to do it. But we have to be willing to go. We don't need to make it happen, but we have to be willing to go to allow God to work through us to bring a change in culture. And so the question is, will you go? Will you go? And don't just say, oh, you know, as a church, we're good at going. We send money here and there and support this, that. I pay people to go for me. No, where are you going to go? Who has God called you to? Who has God placed in your life that he wants you to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to be his spokesperson? He's placed these people around you. You're not just here waiting for eternity. You're to be on mission for God. Will you say yes? And when you say yes, if you say yes, we will watch a culture transform. Amen? Will you go? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your great and amazing love for us. For your love that crossed the cosmos to reach us for the reality that you gave it all up so that we could become your adopted sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, you are not finished with your work. You're not finished with your work in us. You're not finished with your work in this culture. And we thank you that you call us to partner with you to bring about your kingdom in Greenville, in South Carolina, in the United States, and throughout the world. I pray, Lord, that we would remain faithful, that we would be willing to go, even if it's scary, that we would say to you as the choir sung, here I am, send me. And we look forward, Lord, to what you will do when you send us. We thank you and praise you in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year, also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the at night worship service. 
My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us. My name is Keith Gross and I am Executive Director of Neighborhood Focus. Neighborhood Focus is a free faith-based out-of-school time program for under-resourced children and students here in Greenville. Uh, we accomplish our mission through uh, academic support and spiritual enrichment and life skills development for children ages K-5 through 12th grade. Our goal is to provide a foundation for future success. Neighborhood Focus offers the opportunity to get involved in real simple ways. You can come on a Friday night club, you can come spend your time during the school year and the after school program, also during the summer camps. Neighborhood Focus is a difference maker. They're a difference maker in the lives of young people. Well, I've been here since the program started, and what I love about it is we have an opportunity to pour ourselves into the kids and put God's Word in it. Out of all the years I've been doing this, it's just been a blessing to be able to just see the kids grow, see the counselors grow, and just the fellowship and the friendships they build over the years that I've been here. I see the continuity and I also see the community. You have children who are sharing the good news of Christ and they're sharing it amongst themselves and, and they're learning how to verbalize that and, and ways to do that to take it into their Christian walk and take it back hopefully to their community. While the kids would tell you that they love any opportunity they have to get wet and get the counselors wet, they have a great time. I would just always remember the love of the kids and how they're so much fun and they're so joyous and to watch them rush in and give us huge hugs. I made a lot of friends. We did a lot. We learned a lot, of, a lot more about God than I didn't know about. I've learned new things about God and uh, we've went to many field trips. We've had fun all summer. I like coming here because I can have fun, play games, and I can go to field trips and have new friends. My daughter, she's nine years old. She told me that this is one of the best decisions you have ever made. The Neighborhood Focus After School Program uh, requires significant volunteer support to execute properly. 
The three areas that we have a primary need for volunteers include help with our uh, food program, including picking up meals and distributing meals to the children in the early afternoon. Secondly, uh, help with monitoring homework and assistance with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. And lastly, we're always in need of individuals that enjoy coming out and spending time in recreation with the children. The most important goal for Neighborhood Focus is to take our kids on a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because of the generosity of partners like First Presbyterian Church that we're able to do what we do. If you'd like to join us in our effort to make a difference to this next generation, please let us know. We'd enjoy the opportunity to have you join our team.